All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined by Brian Wells and Benjamin Carlson. Today's main topic is the Super Bowl 53 preview, as the New England Patriots will make their third straight appearance in the big game on February 3rd in Atlanta against the NFC champion Los Angeles Rams in a rematch 17 years in the making. In the quick hitter segment, we will discuss the NHL All-Star Game and the Pro Bowl with both contests taking place this weekend. Later in the episode, we will debate whether Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens deserve to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Embrace Debate, and accusations against Matt Kuscher underpaying his replacement caddy after a 2018 tournament win in Aloha H.O. Finally, in honor of Guy Fieri's birthday, we will count down the meals we would most like to make with the Food Network star in today's Top 5. So let's start things out like we have been doing the past few weeks by talking NFL. And we have finally reached the final game of the season, Super Bowl 53, featuring for the third year in a row, the New England Patriots and the Los Angeles Rams, who have been one of the more exciting teams the past couple years after not a whole lot of success since their last Super Bowl appearance against Brady and Belichick back in 2001. So before we get started, let's do a little recap on the uh, little competition we've been doing. So for the first time all season, I'm now in first place, but didn't gain a whole lot of points. Uh, None of us did because we all picked New Orleans versus Kansas City. Instead, it's LA versus New England. Uh, (laughs) So it just came down to a couple points for the sports or for the scores. And uh, Ben actually got two points because even though he picked the Rams and the Patriots to lose, he had the scores that actually won with uh, within three points. And I also got three points for the Chiefs, even though I had them winning instead of losing. So So now we have me at 12, Brian at 11, and Ben at 6. So we just got a few more points on the line for this next game. Uh, But before we talk about the Super Bowl, let's talk about how these two teams got there. So, Brian, let's let's get it out of the way. Let's talk about the AFC. Let's talk about the Patriots uh, going into Kansas City and beating the Chiefs to get back to the place where we have come to expect them every single year. Yeah, so I think the Patriots did uh, um, obviously a great job going on the road in Arrowhead and uh, taking out Kansas City in overtime. And I think one of the big reasons why they were able to come out with a win was because they were able, able to limit Tyree Kill to only uh, one catch with uh, that 40-yard uh, bomb to uh, to him in the first half. And uh, as great as that was, I think that's also Andy Reid's fault because uh, – when you only target your best player for uh, three targets in the entire game, uh, I think that's poor game planning on his part. Uh, I also think that the Patriots' run game was incredible again, just like 
it was versus the Chargers. Uh, Sony Michelle had has had five touchdowns this past two weeks. Rex Burkhead had uh, was also great in the uh, fourth quarter and that overtime run as well. And uh, I think they're also not only uh, not only that, but I think Brady, of course, was his vintage self uh, in the fourth quarter and overtime. Uh, and his receivers also stepped up. Hogan had that really, really nice catch, and I think the refs got it right on that uh, that long challenge in the middle of the fourth quarter. Uh, and not only that, but Brady was also amazing uh, on those third down plays, and a lot of them, of course, going to Edelman. Uh, and, yeah, glad that they're back in the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't even know if it's appropriate to call it vintage Brady because this is how he always is. But <laughs> though, like those third and tens on that game-winning drive were absolutely phenomenal. Um, I mean, it was obviously he did get bailed out by a D Ford offsides, but that one was I took it was a good call. Like it wasn't like the he got bailed out necessarily. D Ford was you know lined up in the neutral zone, so I thought it was a really impressive performance by Brady. A really imp- Impressive performance by the Patriots coaching staff as well to dismantle the Chiefs offense for at least the three quarters where they basically kept them off the scoreboard. In the fourth quarter, things got crazy, but um, they had done such a good job of keeping them in check all day. Uh, I thought that was really impressive, and I think it bodes well for the Patriots taking on this big-time Rams offense that rivals the Chiefs' abilities to uh, put points on the board. You know, I don't know if I truly believed that the Patriots uh, weren't the same team that they have been the past couple years or if it was just me wanting to. Uh, After they beat the Chargers at home in, you know, 20-degree weather, uh, obviously it was an impressive win. I I did not expect them to beat them as badly as they did in that first half, but I still wasn't sold on them. I wanted to see what they did in Kansas City and... They went out and they won in one of the most difficult home field advantages in the entire National Football League. You know, they they held one of the best offenses that we've seen in recent years. A 50 touchdown pass quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, to zero points in the first half. And even though that Kansas City offense came in and scored 24 in the fourth quarter, they still came out and they did just enough to win that game. It's just hard for me to bet against this team right now. I'm actually glad that we're recording this a few days after that AFC Championship game because once once that was over, I was like, this team's going to win the Super Bowl by five touchdowns. Nobody can stop them. Uh, I think I've become a little more realistic for that, but I at this point, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm accepting that there's going to be a parade in Boston the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, and Patriots fans, you might as well request your PTO now if you haven't already because it, it just feels inevitable to me after that, that Chiefs game. Yeah, you guys... You- Oh, no, go ahead, Ben. Go ahead. Well, do you guys, because we talked about uh, the the Hogan call, do you guys feel like the refs bailed the Patriots out in this game at all? I mean, I, I think that... Go ahead. I ben. don't think they bailed them out on the Hogan play. I think the, the Hogan catch, that was the correct call. But I do think that uh, Brady roughing the passer was... Uh, definitely a bad call. If, and what's what amazes me is that that wasn't the worst call this weekend. 
It definitely no. wasn't the worst call this weekend, but I do want to put this call into context, okay? So let's talk about that call, because I, I think I've heard people say, oh, typical like NFL refs teaming up with Brady, giving them the win, which is totally egregious. The Chiefs uh, were called on roughing the passers uh, midway through the fourth quarter, okay? Let me bring you back to it. Second and seven on the Patriots' 28. The score is 21-17, to 17, Chiefs. Chiefs had just taken the lead for the first time all day, uh, and they were going on kind of a massive comeback after having a terrible first half. Uh, Brady was incomplete on this play, uh, but they were called roughing the passer on Chris Jones for slapping Brady across the face uh, or, like, or kind of the... He really kind of chopped into his collarbone, really. Um, so I decided to go look into the rule book to see if this is the right call. So let me bring up Rule 12, Section 2, Article 9, Paragraph 3. In covering the pass in covering the passer position, referees will be particularly particularly alert to fouls in which defenders impermissibly use the helmet and or face mask to hit the passer, or and this is the important part, or use hands, arms, or other parts of the body to hit the passer forcibly in the head or neck area. Now, if you go back and watch this in slow motion, yeah, he doesn't really hit him that forcibly because he kind of misses and barely grazes his like his helmet. But the if you look at it in real time, he chops straight forward like a Buzz Lightyear action figure right into Brady's face and head area. Now, I'm not saying that he he committed this foul, but it definitely looked like he did. When we have the benefit of the doubt looking at the replay, you can argue, eh, he didn't really hit him that hard, but it's Chris Jones' own fault for going for the Buzz Lightyear karate chop. He should have kept his arms down. When you put yourself in that position, you can only blame yourself when the refs throw the flag. You said Buzz Lightyear karate chop? Yeah, you you remember that in the movie? Like where falling Woody... with style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and Brady didn't even fall, so I guess you can't blame him for like trying to draw the flag. But um, even though I, I, I agree with you, it is a questionable call. Uh, but at the same time, totally avoidable if you're not swinging your arm at the quarterback's head. Didn't the Chiefs get away with like a pass interference like two plays later? Because I, I don't remember the situation, but I just remember watching it. It was, like, obviously, like, upset about that um, roughing the passer call. But then, like, two plays later, I was like, oh, that that right there is a makeup call. So, I, I don't know. Everyone's pointing to that roughing the passer one. Um, well, you, you could say the same thing about the Julian Edelman uh, uh, close fumble on that punt return went. Yeah, right. He, you know, they, you think they, it's the Chiefs they ball, but then all of a sudden they overturn it. And on a pick. I don't think he touched the ball, but that's just me. And so, credit to the refs to actually um, – overturning it even though it's a big spot and you you don't really have a hundred percent full evidence that he didn't touch the ball there but um you know i guess to even it out you know a couple plays later brady threw the interception right and and the thing is it's football football is really complicated there's a lot of judgment calls that go into it. it's just part of the game you know you can argue you know maybe they got this one wrong but because there's so many calls like that throughout the game, you hope that they all even each other out, right? I would say that this game, no matter who you... Like, as a neutral third party, I guess, I, in my opinion, this game was officiated more or less adequately, right? Unlike another game that we were going to discuss here this weekend. But I, I want to bring this up because this is a normal 
like questionable call in the NFL where you can bring forth your evidence and say, maybe it should have been this. Maybe it shouldn't have. Maybe Chris Jones shouldn't have been called because he didn't really hit Brady in the face all that forcibly. Uh, but you could also make the argument that you shouldn't even give the refs the chance because you're, you shouldn't be waving your arm in the quarterback's face like that. If you know, the rule might get you that flag. Um, so I'd like to talk about this game a little further because uh, like you said, this is a, a- questionable call but it's not like this call was the end-all be-all of this game like there were so many other factors yeah, that go into down. this one yeah exactly and like there, there's just to me you know this isn't a case of uh with some of the recent patriot victories with the andy reed didn't throw the ball on second and goal from the one yard line he didn't call seven yard dropbacks on third down when they're just trying to ice the clock and kick a game winning field goal. <laughs> this wasn't a case where the referees blew the whistle on a would be fumble recovery, potentially for a touchdown uh, that gave the Patriots second life. So to me, this is a game where the, the Patriots, yeah, you know, there's, there are things that could have gone different ways. There's, you know, maybe one or two calls where you can, you can argue in a certain favor. They went toward New England that could have gone toward Kansas City, but it's not to me. This is a game where the Patriots, they were the better team on the field. They proved it in the first half and they, they just jumped out and Kansas City caught up, but you know, it came down to overtime still. Right. Okay. But and that so is where the questioning comes in. Yes. Because New England won the coin toss, drove 75 yards down the field, and won the game with a touchdown. Mahomes never got the ball. and Even though the Patriots are my favorite team and have won uh, the coin toss in two cru- crucial situations, one obviously being the Super Bowl uh, two years ago when they beat the Falcons, and then, of course, this past weekend being the Chiefs and Arrowhead. Um, even though it's favored my team more than any team in the league, I, I wish they could change the, the OT rules. I, I hate that neither team uh, gets a chance. And it's just like if in baseball, for example, if the the team goes into extra innings and the road team, you know, hits a home run and the, that means and the game's over, like the home team doesn't get a chance to, to come back and score as well. That is a great example because everyone says like the proponents of the NFL overtime rule say like, oh, the defense has to stop them. Defense has to get off the field. You know, they do have a chance. But it, yeah, if you think of it like baseball, it's like, uh, yeah, oh, your defense couldn't stop them from scoring. It's like, oh, dude, that's not how baseball works. You got to give both teams a chance to hit. Like, especially in this game where the Chiefs so clearly have a better offense than they have a defense, it, it just doesn't make sense to make their whole season ride on one drive for their defense against another offense that's clearly very good. Uh, I mean, credit to Tom Brady and the Patriots' offense. It's not easy to go down the field like that and score. It's still a challenge, but uh, there, there's definitely some incongruence there uh, when uh, the coin flip determines so much of the win. So do you guys have any sort of like proposed solutions to overtime? So I honestly don't hate NFL overtime and I I get there's going to be different takes on the just stop them, but you get the one team that gets the ball, they have go 75 yards, score a touchdown and win the game. If the defense gets a stop on three plays, then they get ball at say the 25 30 yard line only needing to get a field goal or if the defense holds that team to a field goal then uh you know you you give them 30 40 50 yards or so you give up points but at least get the ball back and 
I, I know everyone points to college rules. You're not going to give NFL offenses a ball on the 25 yard line and say, "All right, stop them." Like you're going to have games going to triple, <laughs> quadruple overtime. Everyone scoring touchdowns. Like you're obviously going to be able that. to kick a 40 yard field goal every single time. Well, not obviously, but in in theory, kickers more often than not are going to make 30, 35, 40 yard field goals so that they get stopped. And with the way that offenses are in this league, I'm sure there's me a lot of people going for it on those, uh, you know, fourth and goal at the one, fourth and fourth and two, whatever, and they're probably going to pick them up. And uh, I, to me, if you're going to do that, you got to give them ball at like the 45, 50 yard line. I think it would be an entertaining way to do it. I'm also, I would prefer them just play a full quarter. Uh, well, maybe stop it if a team goes up by nine, but. Well, okay. A um, couple of things here, because I, I do, I like the full quarter idea. But before we get to that, did you know that the college rules statistically aren't a fairer way to go about it? The team that goes second wins more time, like more percentage of the time than the team that wins the coin toss in the NFL. Because that if you go, if you go second, you get to see what the other team does, and you just have to top that. Yeah. You know, or tie so, it. You know. But yeah, exactly, I, I, yeah. yeah, if a team kicks a field goal, you know you can kick a field goal. You'd be a little more aggressive when going for a touchdown. You don't have to feel like you have to get it all at once and make some big play. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a surprise at all. Right. So I like your idea for playing a full quarter. I think they should have a fifth quarter. Um, I, I think the current NFL rules for overtime would be fine for regular season because it gets the guys off the field. The whole point is to not make them play a whole bunch of extra reps because allegedly injuries, whatever. But in the postseason, this is the season. You want to have every chance to go out there and earn this win. If you give them a full extra 15 minutes, it's as fair as a normal, you know, quarter of football is if you gain the lead you're going to start chewing away the clock and the other team still you know has a chance to potentially get the stop get the ball back and use the whatever time is left to try to get on top i think that would be a great way to do it in the postseason where they would be everyone's willing to go as far as they need to you know no one's going to complain for playing too long the problem there is that if you end that extra that fifth quarter with a, a tie it's hard to imagine going into a sixth quarter so my solution to that would be a uh uh, field goal penalty shootout where uh, the the kickers go further and further back until uh, somebody can make it and somebody can't. I, I don't know. I haven't broken down. I haven't hashed out well, the, all the details of that. But well, if that I was the case, playing a full quarter would be good. If, if, if that was the case with the kickers, it would just be the Rams and Ravens in the Super Bowl every year with Greg Zerline and Justin Tucker <laughs> kicking all those bombs. <laughs> you're, impl- you're implying that everyone's going to tie in overtime. <laughs> that would be a very la- like end of the line, like tiebreaker but um i i don't know i i feel like i'm fine i'm fine with the overtime in the regular season but i feel like they should make some minor changes in the postseason and you know i do like the full quarter idea but i guess the only one drawback is if what if they're tied after five quarters then they have to play another you know uh, six quarters and then it just you know prolongs the game like from there the sixth quarter can go to sudden death yeah 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 yeah, that that could be a good idea then yeah Mm mm-hmm well, because here's the thing. As a fan of a really bad football team, I know that the normal NFL overtime isn't actually that unfair for the team that gets the <laughs> ball first. Like, uh, one of my favorite wins ever, I think it was 2015, maybe 2016, uh, ran, uh, it was Bears-Niners in uh, in, uh, Soldier, in Field. Soldier Field. Yeah, I remember that game. We watched yeah, it Blaine... 
Yeah, Blaine Gabbert, we were in the lab actually working, and uh, and we got the ball first, didn't go anywhere. The Bears got the ball, they didn't go anywhere. And then on the next drive, Blaine Gabbert bombs it to Torrey Smith for the win. And it was awesome. And it was an exciting NFL overtime, and it didn't seem unfair to anyone. Uh, but when you're playing in the postseason, and usually the teams that are making it to the postseason, especially this year, are the top offenses. Obviously, the offense that gets on the field first has a way better chance of winning. All right, so we've spent a lot of time on Patriots-Chiefs. Let's talk about the other conference championship game that also went to overtime. And this one definitely had its controversies because the Saints and the Rams, they're tied, it's third down, and pass interference goes uncalled, leads to a field goal, Rams tie it, end up winning it in overtime. That was that was pass interference, right? Like, well, uh, you want me to, you want me to, okay. It was so obviously multiple things that it's egregious that we're even having this conversation. This is easily Saints get a first down. They run the clock out, kick the game winning field goal, and they're headed to the Super Bowl. The fact that that didn't happen, it actually, for me, like is the worst call I've ever seen in, in the NFL by far. I've never you guys, seen. You guys remember that episode of SpongeBob where, uh, the health inspector shows up to the Krusty Krab, and then all of a sudden, they think he's an imposter. And all of a sudden, Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob are like, we're, we've been duped. We've been we've been Smeckledorfed. <laughs> the Saints got Smeckledorfed in that game. That was the worst call in the history of sports, in my opinion. I don't I don't know if that's too much of a hot take, but it was that bad. No. It's like you said, Ben, the, if, if they call that a pass interference, uh, or unnecessary roughness even, uh, that's a first down, the five-yard line. Saints, or excuse me, not Saints. Rams only have one timeout left. They need the ball, and then you just kick the easy twenty-three yard field goal, and the game's over. So it's agree, it's egregious. Yeah, as a Steelers fan who saw the Saints get away with potentially more than one um, phantom non-call pass interference, but definitely one really bad one when uh, Joe Hayden was called for pass interference on Alvin Kamara at the one yard line. Uh, and I know how, how I felt about that. And that cost the Steelers a playoff spot in the end. Uh, I don't totally feel bad for saints fans in terms of karma, but yeah, I mean the, the saints had, they had their opportunities. It shouldn't have come down to that, but in the end, I agree. It was probably the worst call in at least NFL history, all of sports history, just because of the, the situation. Giving the timing was of the, the game. Line. Given the timing of the game and the stage, the fact that it's in the NFC Championship game, one game away from the Super Bowl, and to make that call and for, for the other team to to come out with a victory is just is just atrocious. And what also sucks about that is that the fact that the Super Bowl this year is in Atlanta, we could have had a Patriots Saints Super Bowl where you're basically just screwing <laughs> the city of Atlanta, where you got twenty yeah. to three shirts everywhere, and then you got the Falcons rival team. You know, just a few <laughs> blocks away, all coming into one. <laughs> I would have loved it if it was Patriots. Yeah, that, that would have been. Yeah, and it's just the Saint I, I, Corey. I know how you feel. The Niners have been screwed by the Saints as well. There was a phantom. Well, I mean, there was just a bad roughing the passer call back in 2013. If the Niners had won that game, they would have had. Uh, they would have hosted the NFC Championship instead of the Seahawks. There wouldn't have been a Richard Sherman tip pass that's intercepted by Malcolm Smith, and the Niners probably would have gone to the Super Bowl instead of the Seahawks to play the Broncos. Okay, that like I, I'm very salty about that call. But this is <laughs> egregious. I want to go back to the Chris Jones 
call where if you're a Chiefs fan, that is not pa- uh, roughing the passer at all. There's no way you can tell. Uh, but if you're and if you're a Patriots fan, obviously that's roughing the passer. And if you're a neutral fan, eh, there's room where you can see it from either side. This one, even if you're a diehard Rams fan, there's no way you can say that this is the right call in any capacity at all. I actually went to the NFL rulebook and this breaks three different rules uh and that's just like the small amount of research that i did it's uh, totally it just breaks the game especially to do it in this important enough of a of a stage uh for me it makes this whole if this if the rams win the super bowl i i think it's a giant asterisk next to it because they don't deserve to be there you, i i think you know we were talking about rule changes for the uh patriots chiefs uh, game where we talk about like what should we do for um, changes for the overtime like maybe we should have changes for plays like that maybe you know one penalty challenge flag I'm not sure but they got to do something to you know make to make sure that never happens again so I really like the idea of pass interference becoming reviewable I know that there's going to be a lot of a lot of questions with that because once you start reviewing one penalty, everyone's going to want you to start reviewing them all, which you can't do that. That That's just egregious. But I, I do like the idea of making pass interference challengeable because that is one that absolutely that would be reviewed and they would have called that you know, pass interference. And uh, as Ben said, there were a couple others. So what, it was like roughing the pass or not roughing the pass or unnecessary roughness. And was it helmet to helmet? Yes. Some, yeah. Was, there, yeah two, those are the three. Two like real personal fouls. So Nikel Roby Coleman, who who made that tackle, that hit, that pass breakup. However, the NFL wants to record it in the box score. They find him. So yeah. So they they admit it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that's their way of admitting it. Um, that being said, in terms of the saying the Rams don't deserve it, I know because of that one play, if they call it, the Saints are in the Super Bowl. But to say that a Rams team that jumped up thirteen to nothing and in overtime, the Saints got the ball. We made all this deal about the, the Patriots getting the ball and scoring. They picked off Drew Brees. So to me, to say that they don't deserve it, I can I understand the, the whole concept of them not getting there. But this is still a team that they went 13-3 and in the regular season. And this is a game that I think you could say it was 50-50 going in in terms of who was the better team. So I don't think this is a case where the Saints necessarily got as robbed as some of their fans are claiming. And uh, I, I think in the situation, it was a horrible call. But... Uh, to me, I I think that you you can look at this Rams Rams NFC Championship team and say yeah they're they're deserving of being in the Super Bowl just based on their entire body of work regardless of that one play even their entire body of work in that game. I still disagree because they <laughs> they let this they they let listen they let the Saints get into a position to beat them. It like it it doesn't matter that if that if that catch is made it's over. And you wouldn't be arguing with me saying that the the Rams deserve to be in the Super Bowl, even though the the Saints scored more points than them. You know, no, it's, I do it's, agree. No. It's, it's like a fifty fifty matchup, but yeah, just yeah. given the the play, like the game is over. It's 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 tough though, yeah, because the Rams, even though like they committed the penalty, it's not like they. There's no proof they like paid off the refs or anything, right? Like I, I look as that I look at this more of a failure as more of a failure of the NFL than necessarily the Rams cheating. Even though um, I tweeted out, typical Rams have to cheat to win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, it, so yeah, it's it's hard for me to really say the Rams don't deserve 
to be in the Super Bowl wholly because even though it is a foul on the Rams that wasn't called, it's not necessarily like they were doing that all game and getting away with it. And that was like part of their strategy, right? Like they talked to Roby Coleman after the game and they're like, why'd you do that? And he was like, oh, I, I got torched on that play. Like I, I had, I was, I knew that if he scored, we lost. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to just hit him and hope that I, that I break up the pass. I time it right, you know? So, um, yeah, it's frustrating, but honestly, me, I think if you, I was gonna say, if you think, if you think if the Saints score a touchdown, the Rams have a better chance because they could run the clock out and kick a field goal. That's you know, Todd Gurley would have let him score on that one. Um, obviously, breaking up the play was the best bet there, but he was you know, committing a foul to do it. So, right, right. So, I, I, it's uh, it's a messy situation, and for me, it it just makes me uh, know exactly who I'm rooting for in the Super Bowl. Because I I think you've got to uh, get you got to earn it, and I don't feel like the Rams have completely earned it. I think most people will still root for the Rams, even though that was the worst call in history of the <laughs> NFL. I think I think people still hate the Patriots enough to root for the Rams. Still, people don't know when they're watching. Greatness. Not saying everybody. I'm just saying most people will still root for the Rams. I know. I, I I agree. I mean, just look at any like if you look at any sports social media right now, it's everyone saying that like the the that call was terrible and the Saints got robbed and like screw the Patriots. Like that's basically <laughs> the the two mantras going on in the comments sections. Yeah. So let, let's talk about that game a little bit. Uh, so we have Patriots Rams. These two teams played in Super Bowl thirty six in two thousand one. Uh, of course, yep. Yeah, the The Patriots won that game. Adam Vinatieri game winning field goal as time expired. That was the first of now five championships for the Patriots. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and really the game that started this dynasty is they won three out of four, and they really haven't slowed down too much ever since. So there's a ton of storylines going into this one. And of course, one that people are going to talk about is the, is this the beginning and the end is Patriots Rams. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts on the, these two teams taking on each other at Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta? Well, I think Honestly, what I'm hoping for is justice to be served here. I think that if the Patriots play this game in a similar fashion that they do with the Chiefs, where it's doesn't matter the talent level that's on the field, that the coaching staff takes control of the game and uh, nobody's got a better coaching staff than the Patriots, then I think um, that's, that's a strong possibility. Um, I mean... I, We've seen inconsistency from the Rams, um, but I uh, we've also seen them catch fire. So um, I think we're going to have an exciting game. But I think that Belichick is going to not lose two Super Bowls in a row. I think what stinks about this matchup is that uh, the last two games, the Patriots have really relied on their running game. And that's not only credit to Sonny Michelle, but also how great the offensive line has been. And... So what stinks about that is that they have to go go out and face Aaron Donald and Dominic and Sue uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. So I think for this game in particular, I don't think it's a Sony Michelle game. I think they're going to have to rely on, more on James White. If you look at that Rams Saints game, uh, Drew Brees really had a tough time connecting with his receivers. Uh, Traquan Smith only had one catch. Ted Ginn only had basically that one long uh, catch with uh, two minutes to go in the game. Michael Thomas basically did nothing. So it's really just Alvin Kamara catching like, what, 10, 11, 12 passes in that game. And uh, so I think this is mostly going to be a James White game uh, in terms of the running backs. And It's worked for him in the past in the Super Bowl. 
<laughs> well, I also I also think that the Rams uh, they're they're a little vulnerable in the middle of the field, you know, with not only how great their defensive line is, but how great also their corners are. So I think not only just are they going to have to rely on James White, but they're also going to have to rely on Gronk. And, you know, if Gronk can repeat what he did uh, in that last game against the Chiefs, I think he can make a big impact as well, even though he's pretty much done. Like, he's basically washed, but I still think he's got one more. Of course, he has one more game left in him, I think. <laughs> so for me, I think that this this game is going to come down to like the past two Patriots games, the opposing team's pass rush, because that has been determined to be the key to stopping Tom Brady and the Patriots offense for over a decade now. We learned it when they that 18-0 team lost to the Giants, and it's been the same story ever since. The Chargers had no pass rush. We talked about it. You got Nick Bosa and Melvin Ingram. They couldn't get to him. Last game, the Chiefs led the league in sacks, zero. We know Aaron Donald can get to the quarterback. He had 20 and a half. The rest of the team also had 20 and a half. They were 15th in the league. So if they can take away Aaron Donald, which is something the Patriots are always good at, I don't think the Rams are going to have any more success on getting to Brady. And he's going to be able to put up a lot of points. And then do you trust Jared Goff and CJ Anderson and an injured Todd Gurley to keep up with them and score more? And I don't. Well, I... um. I know that Aaron Donald was the bulk of their pass rush in the regular season, but I've really liked what I've seen out of this Rams D-line in the postseason. I, like, even stopping the run, I think they've vastly improved over their averages from the regular season. Um, and Dante Fowler Jr. with his uh, amazing spin move he had on that forced pass that uh, was intercepted uh, for Drew Brees. Like, I, I, I believe in these playmakers as far as anyone who's if anyone's got a chance to get to Brady it's going to be these guys so i think that's going to be a real threat that being said the patriots haven't allowed anyone to get near brady so far this postseason so it's going to be they're going to have to play really well if they want to be able to if they're going to rely on the pass rush to stop him i agree with you Corey, that their main focus is definitely going to be aaron donald so a lot of that has to come up come down to Dominic and sue if he can get to the quarterback or not he certainly hasn't been worth the, the $14.5 million, whatever it is they're paying him this year, um, just based on his performance throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, We all know this is going to be a good game. The Patriots don't play boring Super Bowls. Even the one game we thought was going to be a blowout wound up going to overtime. So it's going to be a close one. And the story from recent Super Bowls is that the Patriots are going to fall behind and then they're going to come back, and it's a matter of do you have uh, you know, Pete Carroll or Kyle Shanahan on the opposing sideline running the offense, or do you have Doug Peterson and uh, you know, Nick Foles? So to me, Sean McVay is an exciting coach, but you got to question some of his uh, actual game management skills. I know he's been a great for the offense, but looking at the, the past two games, him going for it, when he's up eight and a field goal seals the game, but then in the same situation against New Orleans, he decides to kick a field goal when the field goal ties it and a touchdown gives him the lead. I I just can see McVay making a situation. Yeah, yeah, I I hated that last one where uh, they're down twenty to seventeen and they're at the like half inch line on fourth down and they decide to go for the field goal where gives the Saints a chance to basically seal the game, which they should have again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but if, if they go for it and they score a touchdown there, then 
the field goal wouldn't win it. You know, we, we're still going to talk about it. The, that would effectively give the Rams a victory unless the Saints picked up the fourth down. But it's not like a field goal would have won the game there. And when you're you're playing a team like the Patriots, you can't trade field goals for touchdowns. You got to be able to put the ball in the end zone. And I know the Rams are capable of it. It's to me, it's a matter of is Sean McVay going to you know? We really want to say this is like a passing of the torch potential type game, but you're, you're talking this young, now 33 year old coach. Uh, happy belated birthday to him against Bill Belichick, the, the arguably the greatest of all time, definitely the greatest in the Super Bowl era. So. I think the coaching is gonna gonna be a big factor here, and I, I that's that's my big reason for for giving the Patriots uh, the the slight advantage. What worries I'm me a little you. bit is that is that so if you look at the last game with the Patriots and the Chiefs, who's their who who is the Chiefs' biggest weapon on offense? Like this, well, besides Mahomes, of course, it's Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. Looking, yeah, looking at this Rams offense, I mean, yes, the offense runs through Gurley, but I'm not sure like. Who's the like one guy you really need to shut down in terms of the receivers? I mean, I, I mean, I guess it'd be Brandon Cooks, maybe Robert Woods. I'm not sure. So, you know, the Rams can definitely spread the ball, and you know, similar to last year with the Eagles, like I don't think there's like one you know singular playmaker on that offense where the Eagles, you know, they could spread the ball anywhere, just like the Rams. True, true. And another thing with the the Chiefs and the Chargers though is they. While they couldn't get to Brady, they also couldn't run the ball. The Patriots totally just, what they held Melvin Gordon, like 15 yards rushing or something. And I think the Chiefs, uh, they only had 40 yards or so. Now, Gurley is not coming off a great game. He's been injured for about a month now. You have C.J. Anderson, who he's he's been awesome, but... Uh, if, I think that if the, the Rams can run the ball on the Patriots, that'll be huge for them. But if, if they basically make them a one-dimensional team having to throw the ball when they're anywhere but the goal line, um, I think that's a, another advantage for New England. Yeah, it's tough to uh, run the ball when you're down against the Patriots. It's, uh, and I think that's been the, the, the case in these first two games. So we'll see who's, uh, who's comes out, you know, who scores first. All right. So I'm also let's, interested. Let's... Uh, oh, sorry. I, no, I give also... your last point. Give your last okay, point, yeah. and then we'll get to predictions. I'm also interested if uh, whether Talib is going to be on Gronk or if he's going to be on Edelman. And I'm also interested to see, uh, you know, Wade Phillips. He was the defensive coordinator with the Broncos when the Broncos beat the Patriots uh, before they went on to move move on to the Super Bowl and win uh, against the Panthers. And now Wade Phillips is defensive coordinator for the Rams this year. So. Uh, I wonder if he leans with the same game plans he had when he faced the Patriots beforehand, uh, you know, in the AFC Championship game a few years ago, or if he, you know, switches it up, switches it up a bit. Yeah, I forgot about Wade Phillips. Uh, not enough to change things too much, but uh, I do think that he could be a key factor uh, if that Rams defense is going to hold the Patriots under 37 points, unlike Kansas City and LA. So. Ben, why don't you start us off with your pick? I think that the Patriots are going to show the Rams that they didn't deserve to be there, and they're going to win 28-20. to 20. It's going to be 24-24 to 24 going into overtime. Matthew Slater will once again correctly pick the coin toss. Uh, Tony Romo <laughs> will correctly predict who the ball is going to on the last play of the game. And the Patriots will come out on top 30 to 24 in overtime. And Max Kellerman can suck it. Go Pats. 
The Rams are going to jump up in front. It's going to look like they're going to win, but Brady's going to storm back and he's going to uh, rip my heart out like he seemingly always does. And the Patriots are going to win 31 to 26. So that's it for our NFL talk. Next time we discuss, we'll be talking about a Super Bowl champion. But for now, actually, now that I say that, we're still kind of talking NFL because we're going to our quick hitter segment. And we're talking the NHL All-Star Game and the Pro Bowl. Uh, But in this, we're not necessarily talking about the games themselves because no one wants to sit here and hear our predictions for who's going to win these games because you're probably not going to watch these games. The NFC is going to go all the way. (laughs) Uh, So this is more of a... (laughs) more of a discussion on all-star games in general and these are two so you get the nhl all-star game in san jose on saturday night you get the pro bowl in orlando on sunday and both of these are mixing things up a little bit compared to what we normally see uh the nhl much more doing a 14 three-on-three tournament so i guess what what are what are the thoughts on all-star games in general specifically these two well, I didn't know about the NHL All-Star format until today, and I think it's awesome. That actually sounds like something you'd want to watch in with real interest, uh, because not only is the format fun, you know, three on three, and it's, you know, multiple games and eliminations, like, there's a little bit of drama to it, Um it's them actually playing too. I assume I've never watched. I know a lot of all-star games get like the, they're not really trying kind of thing. Um, but it, it sounds like there would actually be incentive at least just for the bragging rights even. So in the past, the NHL has definitely been one where there's no defense. Like the game's like 10 to nine every year. They're only playing 20 minute periods. So it's like two minute, two 10 minute halves, three on three. So the, the effort level is, is a little little more in that one than uh, just in a standard all-star game that we've seen in the past. I like the skills competitions that they have in the Pro Bowl a little bit, especially the ones where the, uh, they line up the kickers to, to kick the targets on the field goals. Uh, so, I mean, I think those are kind of neat. And But, I mean, regardless, I don't even – I don't watch the Pro Bowl. And, uh, I mean, luckily, half the time the Patriots, I don't have to worry about it since they're in the Super Bowl. <laughs> but when they're when they're not in the Super Bowl, yeah, like I don't want any of them to go to play the Pro Bowl because I just I'm just afraid that you know someone's going to get injured. Yeah, like the NFL Pro Bowl. If I mean, obviously everyone knows this, but it's a like it's a complete joke. The game itself is just totally wacky and not really a game. Um, and then the skills challenges, I guess, are somewhat entertaining, but like. Only for people who are either really, really big fans of the NFL or uh, just, you know, their player, their favorite player is there. And they're like, oh, look, my favorite player is playing dodgeball. Like, it's it's kind <laughs> of it's just silly. Like, there's there's no part of it that carries any weight. Um, and like the players even like almost mock the things that they're doing while they're doing it. Like Andrew Luck participated this year in like the target challenge for the quarterbacks. First off, they let a non quarterback play like for each team horrible they're terrible although uh, i guess I, adam thielen actually did score kind of high but like von miller it was like watching a freaking fourth grader try to throw a football it was terrible <laughs> and then um and then he's a legendary player but he's not a quarterback um and then they've got like andrew luck they're like andrew luck you're down four points going into this you're gonna have to score four more points to russell wilson how do you think you're gonna do and he's like oh you know like 
I think my strategy is just to, you know, go out there and then throw the football and, you know, score some points and, uh, you know, we'll see what we'll see what happens. And it's like a caricature of like a sports interview. It's it's so it's so silly. Uh, luckily, they have these on YouTube so you can skip through it. Just see the parts you want. But like, ugh. and they and they interview every player after every little thing they do. It's just it's agonizing. Honestly, I think that the NFL Pro Bowl is horrible. I've watched some of the clips of this one because George Kittle is there and the Niners are never in the Pro Bowl. So I'll take it. But it's just it's not great. So I yeah. I did see that Juju, Deshaun Watson, Andrew Luck, and Eric Ebron won some uh, catch catching game for the AFC. I think it was best hands. I have them all written down here. Uh, but yeah, I I, well, I yeah, didn't but- make that must see TV for me. Yeah, even that is cringy though, because like the guys don't know the rules really. So like they're they'll like make a catch and start running away, and the ref and like the ref is like, no, 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 you weren't standing in the circle. You have to come back and do yeah. it again. And they're like celebrating already, and they're like, oh wait, it's still going on. Oh okay, I guess I'll do it again. And it's like, okay, you just blew it, you know. But they're not gonna start over or anything. So it's like, it's just awkward, you know. You're like, okay, the 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 AFC won, I think, but it's like. But did they really? They just the NFC didn't understand the rules. <laughs> like, it's just yeah, they like, what a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, as great of the, as great of a sport as football is, they definitely have the worst uh, All Star game out of the four sports. I mean, I think with the NHL, like they've kind of followed the NBA a little bit, where um, they added a little bit more incentive to the game, where you know they changed up the 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 rules or the formats. Um, and I love that one year where a couple of years ago, uh, I think, uh, the NHL voting, uh, they ended up voting this AHL guy named John Scott into the, <laughs> into the all-star game. And he ended up being the captain and he ended up scoring a couple of goals and assists and even got in a fight with Patrick Kane and won an NHL all-star MVP. I loved, I loved that. Like, yeah. So John Scott was an enforcer, your typical fourth line guy. He was on the Arizona Coyotes, got traded to the Montreal Canadiens and was demoted to the AHL, but the NHL still let him play in the all-star game. He wore just a generic NHL jersey because he wasn't even on an NHL team. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's an entertaining thing. It's like you see sometimes in the NBA or even in baseball, you'll give it to like the legendary player. Uh, the NHL is one they give it to the, the enforcer. Um, but yeah, the, the NHL has like 10 skills competitions that and the, the way that they choose the matchups for the four team tournament is who wins the skills competition. So a little, little incentive there. Um, yeah, and that's that's such a good idea. Like it, it's I think what sports fans love is things that matter, right? Like competitions that hold weight, even if it's just a tiny amount of weight, like being able to change, you know, choose your matchup there. Um, and the problem with the Pro Bowl is that it's dangerous to play football. Horribly, horribly dangerous. So if you were to play and get seriously injured in the Pro Bowl, what a, what a, like, what a stupid choice. So that I think that it just eliminates football forever from ever being able to actually have a good all-star game because you can't play the real sport because it's not worth the risk. Unlike yeah, so, hockey. No. Well, I, you know, as we did talk about last last week, hockey does have its fair share of uh, concussions and other injury issues. But I, I agree. Football is one where it's it, there's so many non-contact injuries that people aren't going to put themselves in jeopardy by trying to make make big, big plays um, on both sides of the ball. But 
like you said, incentive for the All-Star game. You mean something like if your team wins the All-Star game, you get home field advantage in the championship series at the end of the year? Because that was the case for Major League Baseball for about a decade. Uh, so back in 2002, uh, the All-Star game tied because it went to the 11th inning and everyone is out of players. So to try to add more excitement and meaning to it, Major League Baseball decided that the winning league of the All-Star game would host the World Series. So that was one where it actually had an incentive because that, that, that was huge. But people kind of realized, all right, this is silly. We're going to give these, like what happened at a exhibition game in july is going to determine who gets home field in the world series so they got rid of that now it's just the team who has the the best record um like in the nba as well as in the nhl but that was one where at, at least with major league baseball you don't have as much of the injury concerns in just the one game so to me that's always been the more inter- i guess not necessarily entertaining but the one where if you're just looking at it of the pure fundamentals you're going to get that out of baseball well, yeah. the idea is so cool. Like having all the best players like get inside in the game together for like one matchup. That sounds awesome. Uh, and as and as close to realism as you can get to that, I think is better. And if ba- and it sounds like baseball is probably the one that gives you that to the like highest degree. Um, because I don't know how you can really like not try at defense in baseball unless you're just like. You know, like if the ball comes your yeah. way, you're, you're well, still gonna catch it. Like the the reason for not trying is you don't want to hurt yourself. Like you're not right. gonna get hurt. You might get hurt by not trying because a ball hits you in the head. But oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no! And no, I guess I one other. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Brian. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The the football is definitely the biggest joke of all of them, and then uh, NBA and NHL are the same where it's just a small exhibition having fun but baseball yeah there's a little bit more incentive just because it used to the game used to matter for home field advantage in the world series but i'm glad they took that out just because like you know you know home field advantage for an exhibition game is just a little silly so even before that with the with major league baseball the a lot of the charm of the also game wore off when they went to interleague because before 1997 The American League and the National League only met in the World Series and in the All-Star Game. But now that you have interleague games during the season and now throughout the entire season, it takes away a little bit of it, at least in terms of you got fans who in the American League, they never see National League players. So you kind of get in, oh, like I have this pride of this this league that I'm in. And I I hear about these guys in the paper, but I I don't get to really see them all that often. Uh, But now that's not even a thing. So... Uh, in terms of the the game itself, yeah, it's more more fundamentals. There's no not really much that you can do in terms of not trying compared to the other sports, but uh, just like the the interest still isn't there. But the one thing I, we haven't talked much about the NBA. I know the All Star game itself can get a little silly when it's you know, teams are approaching 200. But I think it NBA All Star Weekend is the best All Star event. With Friday night, you got the celebrity game. You got like Justin Bieber out there playing, and uh, in the the uh, rookie rookie at game challenge. I don't know what they even call it anymore. I think it's it's now it's like USA players versus world and. Uh, but it's just like the young stars, like the future all-stars out there. And then Saturday with the skills competition, the the uh, three-point shootout and the slam dunk contest. So that's at least something that fans like to watch on TV just because of the excitement of all of those events, regardless of how quality basketball is played on Sunday night. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there, Corey. 
yeah, the, the slam dunk contest has been down some years. I mean, uh, it, it got a little bit better when, when uh, Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon put on a show. But, you know, ever since then, uh, and ever since the Dwight Howard, Nate Robinson thing, uh, it's definitely gone downhill in terms of slam dunk contest. But it's still, it's still uh, neat to watch and the three-point contest, too. Yeah, I I just think basketball like the yeah the three point contest it's still cool to be like the best three point shooter out of the all like the all stars you know like that's at least worth something um, at the very least you just you don't want to be the guy that only makes two you know like it's it so there's some weight to it and then dunking yeah even when dunking like dunking is like pizza even when it's not that good it's still pretty good like seeing guys fly up there and slam that thing home like it's one of my favorite things in all of sports uh, so I'm with Corey on this one I think that the NBA all-star weekend like even just from like a uh, spectator perspective as far as like someone who like what event would I want to go to in person it would probably have to be the NBA it's actually in Charlotte this year so it's a possibility that I could make the the trip to that one um, Wait, I thought you were playing or... in the Young Stars game. <laughs> I'm actually playing the Celebrity <laughs> Game. Yeah, see, he's done it. Podcast is kind of blown up in recent weeks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Corey and Quavo and Kevin Hart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that, that's enough for All Star Games. Let's move on to Embrace Debate. On Tuesday, the National Baseball Hall of Fame Class of 2019 was revealed with Mariana Rivera, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Mussina all receiving the necessary percentage of votes for induction this summer. Meanwhile, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens both missed a cut after their seventh consecutive year on the ballot. Do the former stars plagued by steroid allegations deserve the prestigious honor of induction into the Hall of Fame? And uh, I would like to hear your guys' perspective on this before I go into mine. Well, I mean, do you want to hear my totally uninformed on the specific specifics of baseball? You know what? Yes, I've already started yes, talking. Yes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I can't really speak on these other guys. I'm sure they belong in the Hall of Fame. But I've heard of Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Um, and I think that even though they obviously like cheated and did steroids, um, they're still very much a part of baseball history. Um, I, I, I kind of look at um, the many discussions I feel like I've had with you, Corey, about uh, Lance Armstrong and his being a, a cheater, yes, but also being the one of the best cheaters. <laughs> like, just because you do... Again, I'm not saying that it's okay, uh, but you there's something to be said about doing steroids and still achieving a lot like um these two aren't the only two that have ever done steroids in baseball right uh no there's like yeah a couple hundred more that did steroids too yeah right and where are they at though right where are those guys how come they're not busting down the doors to get into the hall of fame it's because they're not as good i'm not saying we should absolve them of their sins or treat them like every other hall of famer but i think the hall of fame also acts as a um a way of you know, giving players immortality and saying like, you are a part of this like sport. So put them in the hall of fame and put a gigantic asterisk next to their names and say, these guys did it crazy good, but they, you know, had some help. Yeah, I agree that bonds, Barry bonds and Roger Clemens should both be in the hall of fame. Like bonds is one of the, you know, five or 10 greatest players of all time. Roger Clemens is one of the five or 10 greatest pitchers of all time. And, um, you know, Rivera deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, 
but I don't. It doesn't make sense that he was uh, the first unanimous player to make the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't. I, I'd like to hear what the baseball writers were thinking when they, um, when some of them didn't vote Ken Griffey or Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or Ted Williams or whatever. Like I, it amazed me that he was became the first player to be a hundred percent voted in. And uh, Halliday deserves it, of course. Uh, Edgar Martinez. Uh, you know, I don't. I mean. It's crazy that he went from 25% to 85% of the votes uh, when he first started getting votes. Um, but I don't think Mike Mussina should be in the Hall of Fame. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he played, he pitched for the Yankees and uh, you know was able to get wins because of how great his offense was. Um, what is the voting like? Is there like a committee so, or is it so, popular? Yeah. Uh, the baseball writers uh, are the ones that vote and a player can get in if he, he gets 75% of the votes. Yeah, so it's Got the it. Baseball Writers Association of America, which I recently learned, um, I guess I don't know about the whole percentage, but there, I think there were 425 ballots cast, and about 225 of them were exposed to the public. Of those 225 exposed, 60 did not vote for Bonds or Clemens. And of those 60, only about 10% of them were actual baseball writers. A lot of these guys, you know, they, they've covered baseball in their time, but they, they do other sports. You know, they're football, they're, they're, they're cross, like they, they go into basketball. Some of them aren't even like really big, just exclusive sports writers. So my, my thought with this has always been that uh, or Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and a lot of these other steroid guys from the steroid era saved baseball because we had a strike in 1994 fans were turning away what got them back in their seats it was a home run chase in 1998 with mark mcguire and sammy sosa and what kept them in there all these guys hitting these monster home runs night after night and just having these chases for first roger maris's record of 61 and then it became mcguire's record of 70 with barry bonds hitting 73 in 2001 and when when you look at what the steroid era did for baseball it's hard for me to look at these writers and say oh well these guys cheated they they kept us you know with our jobs that we have right now and kept this sport relevant but they cheated so we're not going to put them in the hall of fame hearing that not all of them are baseball writers kind of softens that a little bit for me but when i when i look at i'm, I'm a little more passionate about barry bond so i'm going to focus on him it, you're right roger clemens top five top 10 pitcher of all time Barry Bonds might be the greatest hitter of all time. He is easily number five best best position player. I think two or three. Uh, I know everyone wants to point to Babe Ruth. Uh, he was named, I think, the, the number two athlete of the century in uh, the of the 20th, 20th century, only losing to a horse. So he's a, the number one human athlete. But Barry Bonds, if you look at his numbers, so the the thought is that he started taking steroids after the 1998 season after seeing all the hype for Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire in their home run chase and he was like oh those guys are hitting 60 70 home runs I can hit 80 so he started taking the steroids but before that he hit 400 home runs and stole 400 stolen bases Ben name the other baseball players who have hit 400 home runs and 400 stolen bases in their careers um Yasiel Puig. Yasiel Puig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you can't, right? Of course not. I That's because there weren't any. He was the only one to have he's the only 400 400 player ever 
and he got to 500 500 he's the only one ever with 500 wow. homers and 500 steals and uh, I, I did take the, the time to do it. what would his home run numbers be just based on his career home run per at bat ratio before and um, after the steroids. And he'd still hit 600 without him. Bonds did not need to take steroids. Clemens did not need to take steroids. But when you just look at the numbers that they put up and you look at what what they did for Major League Baseball, I think you got to put these guys in. But when you look at the votes, they crept up from like 56% to 59%. There are so many writers who in the next three years are already saying, I will never vote for a guy who has been accused, you know, whether, whether or not they actually tested positive, whether or not they admit it. If you have that, those allegations, and it's hard to say that Bonds and Clemens did not use steroids, uh, and they're not going to vote them in. I think down the line, you know, when we have our, our golden era committee, whatever it is that voted Harold Baines in, they're going to look at some of these guys and say, yeah, they deserve to be Hall of Famers. But Bonds and Clemens, those are going to be the first two to go in in terms of the steroid users because they're the two most deserving. They're the two that, regardless of whether or not they take them, they're top five, top ten, whatever at their positions. So to me, I, I absolutely think Bonds and Clemens are deserving, but I'm not holding my breath that they're going to get in in the next three years. And I think it's unfortunate. And uh, I, I understand the reasoning for keeping them out. And I just hope that uh, someday we can let these guys in. And then from there, we can open up the conversation again about some of the other guys who really they all they did was hit home runs and they were juicing the whole time. So yeah. these, these are two two players who they did so much more. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh like, you know, Barry Bonds, before he was with the San Francisco Giants hitting all those home runs, he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, as a leadoff man, hitting home runs and stealing bases. And so he was already and winning gold player. gloves. Yeah, and winning gold gloves. And not only that, but that's 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 the same that goes for Alex Rodriguez as well. He was a, an amazing yep. player, bef- you know, with the Rangers and the Yankees and before bef- and the Mariners before he even uh, was doing steroids, just like everyone else. And, you know, I'm glad they're not voting in Sosa and McGuire because, you know, Basically, their entire game was just hitting home runs. And what yeah, McGuire's like a 263 career hitter. Yeah, so. they weren't really great hitters at all, except hitting home runs. So I'm glad that, you know, they're not voting guys like that. But Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens um, should both be in the Hall of Fame. I agree. And it's I think it's a joke that um, I, I actually, as much as I like baseball in the history of it, I had to Google who Harold Baines was. I've never heard of him. Oh, until I never heard of him. I never heard of him. You know, Lee Smith, he was pretty good uh, down a closer back then, but I don't understand why Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so, and, and I guess another thing where I know uh, people want to point to the, the steroids and, you know, bringing down the, the career for Barry Bonds. Like I said, Babe Ruth is considered the best baseball player ever. Um, that's a, the wide argument. He played in an era where baseball was segregated. So... There's so many, like, throughout baseball's history, you can come up with these little nitpicky points and that, um, you know, can, that can take away a guy's legacy, take away some of their, their numbers and everything that they, they accomplished. So, uh, to me, I think that, that that is another reason why you can make this exception for a guy like Bonds or a guy like Clemens who are just so, so good gifted so great at what they did and yeah they were kind of dumb for taking these things they didn't need to do them to be the type of players that they were but i i just hope that someday these guys get the recognition they deserve and they get put in that museum and uh 
they're remembered for all the things that they accomplished, regardless of how artificial some of their numbers may be. Well, I mean, speaking of artificial, I think that being put in the Hall of Fame is a bit like at this point doesn't matter. Like if you get to the point where you're like so famous for not being in the Hall of Fame, like people will remember for you for that, too. Uh, I mean, right. Well, it's like, yes. Um, Is he the guy who had the commercial where they're like, you can't be in the hall? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like standing in the hall. Like you get get out of the hall. Um (laughs) But uh, it reminds me of Leonardo DiCaprio and before he won an Oscar. And it's like, is he a bad actor because he never won an Oscar before um, The Revenant? No, he was a great actor that whole time. It's just some committee somewhere who decides that they had the authority to decide who's good at acting decided not to give him an act an award until The Revenant. Uh, but if you look back at his career, Leo's been killing it forever. And uh, I don't know if the award really changes that. So, I mean, you guys are you guys are true baseball fans i think you guys are pretty authentic in your fanhood so i mean while it is i agree that they deserve this at the end of the day they'll be remembered for their accomplishments whether or not this committee decides they're worth remembering uh, at least by people who really you know value the sport the way that in my opinion it should be valued by your accomplishments yeah and it's also a joke that guys like musina are now in the hall of fame you know just very good players and not great players. You know, when Musina was pitching in an era with Clemens, Pedro, Randy Johnson, and you know, those guys are for, for sure. First ballot hall of famers, but you know, you can't be voting in, you know, B plus a minus decent, very good players and leaving out, you know, amazing, great players like bonds and Clemens out of the hall of fame, even though they were steroid users. It's, it's a joke. Yeah. So just my, my last quick point, I, just to touch on the people who did get in, I agree with you, Mario and Rivera, best closer of all time. And I think that he was deserving of being unanimous, but I don't know if, I, I don't know he's, why he's, he was the first He's unanimous. deserving of I, being unanimous, but he's not deserving of being the first and only unanimous No, player. no. And now you're going to have, have other guys get in unanimously and you're going to point to, you're right, some of those, those uh, old time players like, even more recently, Ken Griffey Jr. couldn't even get 100%. So, with that, let's move on to let's... our final segment. Yes, Ben, you ready for this one? I'm ready. Uh, it's time for Eloha Echo. PGA Tour golfer Matt Kusher. Correct. Is that how you yeah. say it? Matt Well, no. Well known for his generosity throughout his career has come under fire following accusations that he paid his local replacement, caddy David El Tucan Ortiz, uh, well below the expected 10% payout following his victory at the 2018 Mayacoba Classic in Mexico. All right, so I'll just give a little background on this before we we dive too far into it, but uh, this is a tournament last November. Uh, in Cancun, Mexico, and Matt Kuchar originally wasn't going to participate, but last minute he decided he would, but his caddy had other plans for the weekend, his regular caddy, so he was like, all right, I need to get a replacement, so at the Mayacoba Classic, he he was uh, re- recommended a caddy for the um, for the club, the, the course, um, however you want to say that, and it's this guy, David El Tucan Ortiz. Well, 
Kucher goes on to win the tournament. His caddy becomes this huge story. And Kucher won about $1.3 million. So the the uh, average caddy winnings is about 10%, which would have given uh, L2 can about $130,000. And this is a guy who made like $200 a week caddying. So that's a life-changing amount. Well, a couple weeks ago, Brian, what tournament was it? It was the Sony Open where uh, the story came through. Yeah, so the Sony Open. Matt Kuchar goes on to win this tournament. I think it was it was either day two or day three when he's he's winning. It looks like he's going to... I think he wound up winning by eight strokes. So he, he was in good shape. And He didn't um, win by eight strokes, but it was definitely... Uh, it wasn't eight strokes? Um, okay. Well, it, maybe the I might be thinking the Mario Kart Classic so- was Yeah, strokes, the Sony but... Open wasn't by eight strokes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so you got this... I had his name earlier. What did we say? Gillis? Was it David Gillis? The so is this, this PGA Tour golfer, um, a former PGA Tour golfer? I think he's on the the Senior Tour now or some something like that. Uh, he he goes on Twitter and says something, Tom makes a comment Tom about Kucher. Tom Gillis, thank you, Tom Gillis. He goes on Twitter and makes uh, some comment about Kucher winning and saying, "Oh, I wonder if he'll he'll actually pay his caddy more than three thousand dollars this time." And just this this whole thing about um, El Tucan getting severely underpaid. And then there were reports saying that that was an agreed to price. Matt Kucher comes out says it wasn't ten percent, it wasn't three thousand dollars. Actually, uh, so Gillis supposedly reached out to El Tucan, found out it was five thousand dollars, which is still like two hundredths of a percent of the total winnings that. Um, Kucher won in this tournament so nowhere near what he would be expected to win uh, or to walk away with as as a caddy here and the fact that this happened with Matt Kucher who is well known for being this super generous guy just makes this story even juicier yeah Matt Kucher's uh, definitely known on the tour as being one of the nicest guys uh, always has a smile on his face and everyone always yells Kuch right after uh, any big putts he makes and Yes, he doesn't have the popularity as same as Tiger Woods or Phil or Jordan Spieth or any, you know, guys like that. But, you know, he consistently finishes tournaments uh, within like the top 15 or 20 players. So he's consistently making lots and lots of money, even though he's not winning, um, you know, winning the big, big tournaments. Like he has he doesn't have any majors, but he can win tournaments like, again, the Sony Open or Mayakoba Classic. So uh, what what's really odd is that because of his consistency and how you know good of a golfer he is even though he's not like top 10 in the world or anything like that um and someone who's nice as he is it's kind of odd that he would you know you know screw off screw off the caddy like that and i don't believe that he paid him only the three grand that the caddy or or tom gillis said he got but but tom uh matt kuchar did come out and say that yeah it was it wasn't 10 percent, which i'm not sure why he would he would even do that if you're, especially since looking at the total winnings, it's one, you know, one, again, 1.3 million. I mean, you can't just, you know, hand this guy the, you know, correct amount of uh, money that he deserves, especially like you said, it's life changing for him, but for a guy like Matt Kuchar, um, in the spotlight he's in, you know, it's, it's chump change. Like he's made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars playing golf. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. Why that story out there. This is, um, like definitely an outsider perspective on golf, but like 
Why do these caddies get paid so much if all they do is carry around the clubs and get the golfer lunch? <laughs> they, they they give them tips on like how you know where to hit the ball. Yeah, what club to um, use. Yeah, stuff right, like exactly. That. How like far especially away. approaching the green and you know what are the bumps like? Um, uh, you know, put on the putting green surfaces. So, um, so mm-hmm. I get that. So it's you, more like a head coach. Yeah, they're they're not they're, they're not just carrying <laughs> the bags and getting them lunch. It's not just that. Yeah, it's because <laughs> I'd be, I'd be them lunch, I would right? be signing up to be a caddy right now. <laughs> If uh, if that was the case, so so but no, but yes. I, okay, but just being completely seriously, completely serious here, like the caddies are more like a guide to the course. Like the caddies stay on one course, like memorize the course, and like help golfers through it. Is that how they establish no, their so value? So usually, usually, golfers have a caddy, and who they're always their caddy. It's their, you know, their their permanent role is they they have this one guy. And it's just a trust level. It's yeah, like you said, it's kind of like a coach. They they'll work with them on things outside of the course, and then on the course, they they're the ones giving them tips. Like, hey, you usually hit this club this far. Like, maybe you should go with this one. Hey, that hit it deal. in the hole. Like, okay, but it's, okay, this... my my just outsider opinion. Obviously, it sounds like I'm going to be pretty off because you guys seem to be valuing the caddy's advice a, a lot. But like. Dude, $3,000 to carry the guy's bag around? That's awesome. <laughs> That's so much money for doing not the job of the golfer. Like, I feel like like no one has ever come to me and been like, dude, freaking Tiger Woods' caddy is the goat. That guy is so good. You know? No one has ever said that. They always say it's just Tiger Woods. Just Tiger Woods is good at golf. Not Tiger Woods and his caddy, best team in sports. No, it's just the golfer. So for this guy to be like, why did this guy make me, like, change my tax bracket because I carried his bag around and he just happened to win? Dude, that's ridiculous. $5,000? That's plenty of money. Replacement. This guy wasn't even supposed to be here he got lucky okay like yes i it does seem a little bit like if you do this normally yeah i don't know why you shorted this one guy maybe he offended him in some way but come on this this guy's like heavily overpaid even when he's being underpaid the the idea was they they agreed upon this price he's like yeah i'll I'll give you a few thousand dollars to just be my caddy for the weekend and i don't know if he necessarily expected to win the tournament because he was such a late addition but he did and he wound up making all this money. And it's, it's, I, I understand your sentiment as coming from someone who hasn't done anything more than play mini golf and maybe gone to top hey, golf. I went to a top golf like, yeah. yes, like five <laughs> times, okay? <laughs> yeah. So when you're on an actual course, though, there's like, especially at a, a professional level like that, there, there is things that caddies do. Like, he's not just standing there holding his bag, you know, looking at his watch, like, oh, he got lunch soon. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's, there's <laughs> So, so I think in terms of the the what they agreed upon, and sure, that's that's probably what the value was. But when you're you're talking about a guy, so Matt Kuchar in like 2015, he went, he was at a Miami Heat game. There's a tournament in Miami. There are a bunch of golfers there, and they said, "All right, Matt Kuchar, you're gonna take a shot from half court at you know halftime, whatever. And if you make this, you we're gonna donate twenty five thousand dollars to charity." And he barely missed a shot. So instead, he just decided to to take twenty five thousand, you know, from his pocket and give it to United Way. Uh, that's the kind of thing that this guy does. So just hearing that he's gonna shortchange this caddy, even though he was a replacement, even though they agreed upon this price, it just it feels a little little off, you know. 
Yeah, it sounds like it, it sounds like the publicity he's getting off of it isn't worth the money he saved, you know, especially if he is this super successful golfer. Right. But I, yep, I'm yep. still blown away at <laughs> that caddies rake it in like this because um, I mean, I, w- yeah, I don't I agree just, with I wouldn't agree with like Jordan Spieth where it's like, oh, it's a team sport. Like, yeah, give me a break. It's it's one guy <laughs> and he's got someone to help him. But I wouldn't say it, again, I wouldn't say it's just like, oh, yeah, this guy's just carrying the bag. He's like the you know, caddy and Happy Gilmore, he's just homeless and he just says, hey, you want to help me caddy? It's not like Happy, yeah, it's not like him. But... Like the best caddies are the guys that know like the best local lunch spots. Like those are the guys who get with the best golfers so they can go get the best lunch. Yeah, Happy it's, Gilmore's uh, ca- Happy Gilmore's caddy was putting Ritz crackers as the as the <laughs> marker on the green. <laughs> <laughs> all right i i think uh i think that that's enough for this one so let's we'll see if uh matt kuchar decides to to give a little more money to l2 can now that this story is blown up the way it has um but let's move on to our final segment as always it's the top five and on tuesday guy fieri celebrated his 51st birthday and I think at this point it's been pretty well established that I'm a I'm a big Guy Fieri fan. It was uh I I, I loved watching Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives when I was little, and it blew up when I was told to go as him for Halloween a few years ago. And uh, I, there's nothing I nobody I would rather honor with a list uh, on the top five than Guy Fieri. And we are going to count down our favorite or our meals that we would like to make with Guy Fieri himself in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so Brian, how about you lead us off? Because you never want to. It's your time to shine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so number five, uh, I went with the pepperoni-studded lasagna. Um, I'm not a huge fe- fe- uh, fan of pepperoni on pizza. Like I prefer just to be the you know regular cheese pizza or maybe even like barbecue chicken or whatever but um looking at the lasagna um it's definitely something that i would love to try with uh guy or you know make with guy fieri for sure um and then number four i went with the double fried french fries um you know i as i love fast food of course and i i love trying the fries uh you know you know mcdonald's burger king wendy's five guys you know name any fast food restaurant but uh I don't think I've ever had double fried French fries in my life. Uh, so I would like to know what that tastes like. Uh, for number three, I went with the bacon mac and cheeseburger. Um, I've already qu- quoted SpongeBob once on this podcast, so I'm going to do it twice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if anyone remembers the episode where Squidward uh, tries the Krabby Patty for the first time, and then all of a sudden SpongeBob is like, he's like begging him to try. He's like, come on, Squidward. He's like, this is, it's good for you. And then Squidward just goes like, good for you. That thing is a heart attack on a bun. If you Google <laughs> this bacon mac and cheeseburger, and if you want to know what a heart attack on a bun looks like, Google that. Because that thing is for sure a heart attack on a bun. I don't care how old you are. I've, I've had that one in person. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll comment on that one later. But yes, <laughs> that is absolutely a heart attack on a bun. <laughs> I didn't look at the nutrition facts yet, but I guarantee you it's, it's it can't be good. There's no way. Uh, for number two, I went with the Cajun Chicken Alfredo. Um, as someone that is a huge fan of uh, Alfredo, especially Fettuccine Alfredo, um, I would 
definitely love to try uh, the Cajun chicken uh, Alfredo for sure. And I watched the video of of that, uh, the YouTube video of that of Guy Fieri making it with with a chef, and it's definitely definitely looks amazing. Uh, and number one, I went with the Mac Daddy Mac and Cheese. You come on, like that sounds like the most amazing thing ever. Like just hearing the Mac call it, being called the Mac Daddy Mac and Cheese, like that's, I mean that's got it's got to be amazing. Like I would just quit that. This. We should just quit this podcast earned. and and just you know make a Food Network show like just with all these <laughs> foods. I, I'm I'm being dead, you know dead serious. Like like that thing looks amazing. Uh, so I went with that as my number one, the Mac Daddy Mac and Cheese. Nice. Um, I think I should go next because I have actually not seen that many episodes of uh, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Um, I know who Guy Fieri is, of course, because he's just a living meme. And I've seen a few, but um, my list is all just food that is in my life that I would love to enjoy with Guy Fieri. And obviously prepare with him because I'm going to go ahead and assume that he knows how to prepare anything. So my number five is... Spam and beans with mustard, a uh, hometown favorite uh, from my childhood. Recently, I've told people that I know that I used to eat spam and beans, and they accosted me and called me a poor person. And I reject that that sentiment. I think spam and beans is delicious, especially when you put a lot of mustard on it. And I think Guy Fieri would agree with me. I think I would love to see him get hype while we're cooking up some beans and some spam and enjoying it together because I love how enthusiastic he gets, even when you know it's not. Uh, it doesn't have to be the, the world's finest cuisine. So I uh, I think me and Guy would get, get along real well with some spam and beans. For my number four, I would love for Guy Fieri to actually come visit this restaurant too. Uh, it's called Nick Henry's. It's in Powdersville, South Carolina, uh, which is basically my hometown. I'm from Easley, but Powdersville and Easley are basically the same place. And uh, I went. they have their famous bird dog basket, which is basically this, uh, it's a, hot dog bun with like a piece of fried chicken inside of it with uh sprinkled cheese over the top like shredded cheese and um honey mustard on top of that and it's served with fries and a pickle and it's absolutely delicious and i and that it honestly i think would make a good episode of uh diners drive-ins and dives if if uh guy fieri tried that so i i think he would really uh i think he would say that that is pretty good uh for number three uh, this one, it would be all about the preparation. It would be making slow Larry's on the grill. Um, so slow Larry's, there's some variation to it, but basically it's uh, one part beef, uh, one part uh, pork, and one part bacon. Um, and this, and this, and it's all uh, chopped up and made into this meatball. And you wrap that meatball around a uh, a ball of jalapenos that are uh, with melted cheese around them. So it's like kind of this gooey inside center. And then you make this uh, mayo sauce and then you put the rest of the burger fixings on it. And it's just this monster burger that's very delicious and fun to make. Um, so I would definitely enjoy that with my man guy uh for number two chicken and waffle uh i'm a big fan of chicken and waffle and there's a lot of good places to get chicken and waffle in okc obviously me and guy would go to all of the places but the number one place we'd go to is waffle champion uh right there in midtown oklahoma city where the waffle actually acts as somewhat of a taco that the chicken rests inside of and you eat with your hands it's a horrible mess but it's (laughs) horribly delicious um and, and i what? I assume that the chicken doesn't have bones. 
No, it does not. Okay. It's fried and it's all like it's like fried to an absolute crisp. Um, and there's I think there's like some garnish in there, some sort of like little pieces of vegetable or something. But it's mostly fried chicken, and they got the uh, the syrup that they put on top of it, and it's absolutely delicious. My favorite, I think it's my favorite uh, chicken and waffle place in uh, Oklahoma City. It's definitely the one I go to the most to get chicken and waffle. And then my number one, and this I do want to emphasize that I want Guy Fieri to help me prepare it because it'd be an absolute adventure. Uh, this past weekend, I went to None Such, which Bon Appetit magazine called their uh, their number one in uh, best new restaurant in the United States for 2018, right here in Oklahoma City. And Guy and I would do their menu. We would prepare their a the none such 10 course meal and the meal is so fantastic they actually give it to you after uh and you can so you can remember it because it's kind of long so we would start off with a a decadent mushroom broth followed by a nasturtium flour with a baby carrot with watercress mayo chicken liver mousse tartlet and tartar sweet potato crisp bison prairie oyster with paddlefish caviar oyster mushroom custard custard grilled brassicas with onion jam, spaghetti with grilled fennel and peach tomato, focaccia with soft scrambled eggs and black garlic, just a little bit of black garlic, grilled bison with a herb sauce and grilled greens, a pickle plate uh, that served on an ice block as the actual plate itself, milk tea alongside pecan macaron with brown cheese caramel, nasturtium ice cream and biscotti, and to top it off, pecan ice cream, pumpkin curd, and pecan milk crumble. I would have so much fun preparing that entire meal with Guy Fieri. <laughs> it would take us like five that, hours, but I'm sure he would never use the same adjective twice to describe how that amazing sounds the awesome. are. What are we doing with our lives? Like, we should become cooks. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my number one. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yeah, yeah that, that number five, the spam and beans with mustard, that, that kind of grossed me out a bit, but I think you, you slowly redeem yourself as that list went on. <laughs> You're not the only one to give me that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll I'll finish us up. Um, my my number five is fettuccine Alfredo. So I know that um, as Brian alluded to earlier, he has this uh, Cajun chicken Alfredo, supposedly a specialty. If he can do that, he can make your simple fettuccine Alfredo. I I love to make it. Uh, I'll usually toss in chicken and broccoli with it. It has the broccoli, so it's healthy, and. Um, I, I would love to see if uh, you know what what guy could do and uh, give me a new recipe going forward to make because that's that's always something when I when I go to the store and um, gotta gotta make it and have have leftovers for a couple of days. Number four is the bacon mac and cheeseburger. I tried that at Guy Fieri's Vegas Kitchen in Las Vegas, and it was amazing. It, you're right; it, it's a heart attack on a bun. But I having having a cheeseburger and tossing mac and cheese and bacon on it. Oh, it's it's that's so good. I, I love the donut burger that you get at the State Fair, but I do think that a bacon mac and cheeseburger is my favorite kind of cheeseburger and something that I don't eat. A whole lot. I've only had it a couple times. I, I know my parents are listening to this, so don't get, get too freaked out. <laughs> how how <laughs> um, did you get through so, the day after eating that? Like, did you have to? Well, it was it was, a, it was a nighttime meal, and we were, we were oh, okay. very much kind of wound down after that one. <laughs> um, so my my number three is a Philly cheesesteak. 
And I know that Guy Fieri has a uh, Philly cheesesteak egg roll recipe. And I love Philly cheesesteak egg rolls. I think they're a great appetizer. But Philly cheesesteak, that is my go-to sub when I just, I want it. I'll have it for dinner. It's usually the great lunch for me. If I'm thinking a sandwich, I have to tell myself why I'm not getting a cheesesteak, not why I do need to get one. So... I've tried making at home uh, myself a few times. I, I've been more or less satisfied, but I've never been blown away by the one that I make. So I would love to see what Guy Fieri can concoct. And uh, from then, I never feel like I have to go out to get one again because I have a great recipe from him. Number two, barbecue chicken pizza. So this is one that uh, Guy Fieri does have a pretty solid recipe on. I usually prefer buffalo chicken, but I'm a big fan of barbecue chicken as well. So I think that this would be a great one, especially maybe toss in a little bit South Carolina mustard-based barbecue on it. Hey! Uh, you, know, you get get your onions, you get got the cheese. Oh, really, really fun one making pizza with Guy Fieri. And then number one. This, uh, I'm a little afraid to admit that I ate this before I ate number four, the bacon mac and cheeseburger, but those are Guy Fieri's trash can nachos. These are nachos that you make them basically in a bucket, like a trash can, and they're layered. There's all this meat and veggies and cheese and all these goodies on it. Uh, I, so awesome. And even after splitting it with four people, eating a ton of it, you know, I I was able to eat my bacon mac and cheeseburger, which was fantastic. But those trash can nachos, those were the highlight of the meal going in to that restaurant experience, and I was very much satisfied. So number one for me, guys, trash can nachos. Nice. I do like food that comes in unconventional containers for sure. Yeah, and trash can is certainly unconventional. Usually, that's where it goes after, not before. So, all right. So that concludes another episode of He's Done It. Uh, So we won't be recording a new one next week. The next podcast we'll get to you will be after the Super Bowl. Uh, So we did a we had a a solid run getting you every week. Uh, We'll see how often that occurs. Uh, Going into this, we kind of expected biweekly. So. Uh, we'll we'll try to get them to you as often as we can, though, and I think we're doing a much better job of how often we gave the Ben and Corey podcast. We haven't had any two month breaks yet with that one, or this one. So, um, uh, just a, a quick shout out: we are now available on Stitcher, the number one podcasting site. So give us a listen over there. Uh, we're just branching out, getting getting available on all all the different platforms. So throw that in there with SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, and Spotify. Uh, of course, give us a follow on our Twitter account at He's Done It Pod. Uh, we'll, we trade up, tweet out all the links to uh, our podcast there. We we have uh, graphics we create for our, our predictions. We have some videos. Uh, you can listen to a, a video of Ben's Clemson rant after they won the national championship a couple weeks ago. So uh, that, that that would be great. Just get, get more exposure. And, of course, write a review. Uh, you know, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, whatever you got to do to to help us out because we, we love making these and uh, we, we appreciate everything that our listeners do. And there's no reason that our listeners and our audience can't grow even more. Yes. If you're, if you're listening right now and you love Guy Fieri, go write us a review, give us five stars and say, this podcast is gangster. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. So... <laughs> All right, you guys have anything to leave us with? 
No, I just go Patriots. That's it. And yeah, I hope the Rams lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone.